Hello and welcome, Brian Chappell. Thank you, David. Good to be with you. Uh, good to be with you. Brian, tell us everything that we need to know about you in 60 seconds. <laughs> everything you need to know about me. I, I have been a pastor, a father, a fisherman, a professor, a president of a seminary, and uh, I'm currently now trying to lead a church, uh, 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 trying to lead about 2,000 churches, believe it or not, in, in the role I currently have. Wow. Well, you, you, you've crammed a lot in 60 seconds there, Brian. Well done. That's, just, that's impressive. <laughs> so, Brian, take us back to the beginning. How did you become a Christian? Well, I had the privilege of being raised by Christian parents. Um, my father, while he was in agribusiness, agricultural business, uh, nonetheless, he was a, a uh, lay preacher, lay Baptist preacher on the weekends. And uh, so he he usually would take one of his six children with him as he ministered in three very small churches. And uh, he would be on a circuit. And my, my mother would keep the other five kids in a kind of our local central church. Uh, but my father would would be about, and so both my mother and my father, very both very sincere, uh, knowledgeable Christians. Uh, their traditions were not the same, but their love of the Lord was the same. So my yeah. father was, uh, I do you have in your part of the world, David, primitive Baptist, sometimes known as particular Baptist, so yeah. uh, otherwise hyper-reformed at times. Um, my mother, on the other hand, was free Methodist, and they're kind of... <laughs> that way on the spectrum of, yeah, right. uh, <laughs> uh, of sovereignty versus responsibility. But it uh, gave me lots of opportunity to think about my theology. And uh, But what I never questioned was uh, having a savior. And I'm grateful for parents who raised me with that understanding. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Brian, you've written a number of books before. How did you come to write a book on end times? <laughs> well, David, I, I I do what you do here in the States uh, through a broadcast ministry as well as some podcasting. So uh, I was on a, a, uh, a radio network, I still am, and the radio network at some point said, you know, our people would really love it if you wrote a book on the end times. And I said, you know, I don't think they will want my book on the end times because I'm I'm probably not in that left behind series mode, you know. And they said, no, no, yeah. we'd love for you to do it. So I, I did. And and then they didn't want it. <laughs> and so uh, the con then another publisher picked it up. And, you know, the thing is, and David, you and I talked about this a little bit before we began here. Um, most people are wanting to be very declarative about what they think are going to be the, spec the specifics of the end times and uh, often very strong opinions of, you know, what is supposed to happen before Christ returns. And my real goal was not to say, I know the size of the UFO in which Jesus is going to reappear, but ra rather to say, what, what are the things that unite Christians in all ages about Jesus' return? What, what do we all believe? Not, I wasn't concerned about the sensationalism or even particularly about just, um, uh, uh, what should I say, pushing my view. I really wanted to say, we can become so controversial about what the Bible teaches on the end times that people just shy away entirely. I don't want to deal with that or else they want yeah. to uh, either push you into their expectation or, or have you declare to them precisely the day and the hour of Jesus return. 
And, and I really wanted to say, you know, if we do that, all we'll do is end up in controversy and doubt. And, and I want to end up in, in unity and confidence of uh, what Jesus' return will involve and, and say, what, despite all the controversies, what, what do Christians actually agree upon regarding yeah. Christ's return? And that's where I went. So that's what that, that's maybe an unusual book about the end times. I'm not trying to be a strong advocate of any of you. In fact, if you if you read my my uh, a book on Are We Living in the Last Days, I hope you can't discern what my view is. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, and that's yes, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm more concerned with what unites us than what divides us. Yeah, brilliant. Well, let's tackle that first. What what do all positions have in common, Brian? Well, uh, some of the most basic, we all think that Jesus will return, <laughs> that that this is not the final chapter, that as hard as the world may be, as difficult as it may be, that Christ comes. All the views, um, and I know you're going to ask me about some, but all the views have some sense of Jesus comes to rescue his people from a broken, yeah. evil, fallen world, from this present evil age. And the reason we have hope in Christ's coming is it's meant to strengthen us to give us a clear sense that however hard life may be or how much evil may seem to triumph, that is not the final chapter, so that we are we are strengthened for the work that God gives us to do. I'm, I'm so um, fearful at times that our sensationalist debates about what's going to happen um, actually rob people of the confidence they are supposed to have in Jesus' return. And, you know, if you say biblically, what's the main reason that we are being told about Jesus' return? It's not so we will know the names of the armies that meet on the field of Armageddon. That, that's not the, the main purpose is strength for today and hope for tomorrow, yeah. that I will be that I will bear through the troubles of today with the absolute confidence that Jesus is going to set this world right and rescue his people. And, and that yeah. keeps me strong for my calling today. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful, Brian. Thank you. If anybody's uh, read uh, church history before Brian, they'll know that Christians from every generation have believed that they are the generation that Christ will return to. Why is that? And are we any different today? We're not different. And I, I want to, you know, my, so much of this is trying to be balanced according to Scripture. So um, they'll say, well, when when Israel is defeated, uh, at, at, then Christ returns to to rescue the Jews, and you say, "Well, I, I actually believe that is scriptural." However, that's happened dozens of times in history, <laughs> and and so um, you know, right now there's all the difficulties in the Middle East, and there are people who are saying, "Is this the end?" And I want to say, maybe it may be the end. What what I think is the view that has um, united Christians rightly throughout. Uh, the ages, particularly at this time, is what's sometimes called the the imminent return, and that is all that is necessary to occur before Jesus returns has occurred, which means yeah. we are meant to believe that Christ could return at any time. Does that mean that He will return in the next twenty four hours, twenty four days, or twenty four years? We don't. We don't. We are not given to know that. What we are given to know is it's time to get ready. It, it, it's yeah. time to get ready now and to be prepared for, for his return. So that, that notion 
that his word makes it clear that we are already in the last days. And, you know, it, David, that you get some of my emphasis in the book with the title, you know, are we living in the last days? I would say most certainly. I, I don't have any question about that. But we've been living in the last days uh, since Jesus was on the earth, according to scripture. Yeah. So in, in that case, we should be ready. Uh, yeah. And with our hope, as well as our preparation for Christ's return. So that was a long about answer to your question, but um, it, it, my, my goal again is to say what unites us, not to speculate, but, yeah. but to say clearly, end times teaching in the scriptures are not just about sensationalism, they are about preparation. Yeah, that's really helpful, Brian. Thank you. You've mentioned that some people are very confident in, in their positions and in, in various positions that they hold. Um, and some of this has actually spilled out into people confidently setting dates about when Jesus will return. Why is date setting problematic, uh, Brian? <laughs> well, among other things, Jesus says, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and of course, uh, d d despite you know, Matthew 24, where where Jesus says concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son. You know, Jesus, yeah. he just says about himself, but only the father. So when 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 Jesus says, don't try to set the day or the hour, I, I want to open my ears and listen to that. Yeah. Um, now, again, he's not saying there's no indication ever to tell you to get ready. I mean, there there are things. He, he goes in that same chapter to say these things will happen. There will be wars and rumors of wars and the sky will be, you know, there will be black. And, but we, we probably, until Jesus actually physically appears, are not going to know what the direct reference of those things are. We will be saying this, this could be it. Is it, is it uh, uh, the smoke in the air of a thousand forest fires or an atomic weapon or something we've never seen? What makes it, or an eclipse? What makes it dark? We don't, we don't know. What, what we know is there are, there are hints all along the time in everybody's life to say, you need to be ready for Christ's return. Yeah. Wars yeah. and rumors of wars. Well, you know, there's, there's wars a lot. Earthquakes. Well, there's a lot of earthquakes. Uh, hundreds every day, as I understand, you know, from the yeah. seismologists who actually have the instruments. So I, I think we are meant to understand now is the time to get ready. But however bad is the time that you're in, it is never time to despair. Jesus will come to rescue us from this world. Yeah, that's really interesting. So when we look at the unfulfilled prophecy in Scripture, is there anything still that needs to happen before Jesus returns? Or, or is it right that Jesus could return right now, Brian? I don't, I don't know what prophecy there is that would not have some explanation possible that says Jesus couldn't return this moment, this hour, this day. You know, yeah. now if what you say is, um, oh, no, no, no. Uh, Revelation 13 says there must be a one world government before Jesus returns. Then I'll say, well, that's not exactly clear in Revelation 13, you know. And uh, by the way, there have been other times when Rome or Greece uh, have been yeah. dominant empires over the world. Um, yeah. has that, that's already come and gone. Um, and, and what does it mean, you know, that everybody will have to have um, some mark in order to be able to do commerce? Is that is that having a visa card <laughs> or is or is that having a microchip or is that having something we have no idea about? 
I think what we are what we understand is there are explanations that could be given to everything so that yeah. Christ could come at any moment, but he has not come, which means we don't fully know yet. Yeah. But but I I do not know of a single prophecy that you could say, oh no, that has definitely not happened yet. So Christ can't return. Uh, people will say things like, oh no, no, the gospel has to be translated into every language before Jesus returns. And I would say, well, it certainly does indicate in the in the scriptures and Jesus that the Scott gospel will spread across the earth. But is is the gospel being presented? Remember, we didn't have written languages until, you know, that most people had in their hands until about 200 years ago. So it, it really is translation, how the gospel is going, you know, written Bible translation, or is it people being able to express the gospel in an oral culture very different? How is the gospel going to spread? And the, the fact of the matter is that uh, across the world as we know it, the gospel, at least in its essence, is known. So the uh, the notion that, no, no, you have to translate every book of the Bible before Jesus returns, there's just not a basis to say that with certainty. Is it possible? Yeah. I certainly want to grant that as a possibility. But to say that's the only explanation, what has to be done before Jesus comes, I would say, no, that that is actually not what most Christians have agreed. The imminent yeah. return is among all the scholars of all the different views. They all agree in the imminent return. That is that Christ, there is enough that has happened or could be explained that Christ could come at any moment. Yeah, really interesting, Brian. Thank you so much for that. Brian, the imagery used in many of the prophetic books can be hard to understand. And one of the things that you talk about in your book is how there are things that can have both a short view and a long view. Uh, tell us about this, Brian, and give us an example, if you would, as well. Well, uh, uh, we, we've mentioned one already. There will be wars and rumors of wars, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Matthew 24. So a short view would be he's talking about the the Romans coming to destroy uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD. Well, as as you and I've already discussed, that 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 could be his most immediate reference. That would be a very short view. Um, on the other hand, it it, it could be. As I said, the nation of Israel has been overrun numerous times across the course of history. You know, I'm I'm not that great a historian, but when I studied, said that could be fulfilled at least 50 times, you know, since Christ spoke. And it certainly could be fulfilled in our time right now. Are there any wars or rumors of wars? And, you know, at least here in the States, you know, we're talking about we may be in more danger of world, world war than any time since World War II with uh, possibly as many four as four fronts on which war, major war, could happen between the United States and China, Russia, North Korea, or in the Middle East, uh, with Iran, could happen at any moment. Well, that's a rumor of war. Is it? Is it the reference Christ had 2,000 years ago? Or was he talking about, um, uh, as I said, the Romans overthrowing Jerusalem? And we will know when Christ returns what his reference was. But what what one of the things, and David, this may be going a little deeper than you intend. We are Westerners. And so what we tend to do is we say, here is this prophecy, and it means exactly that thing that's going to happen. I don't know which it is, but it's going to be exactly that thing. You know, the the Hebrews, the the Israelites, the Jews, more often talked about fulfillment 
than prediction. Okay, And what did they mean by fulfillment? They saw patterns by which God was revealing himself to his people. And then they saw something that fulfilled that pattern in Christ, in the nations, in the churches. It fulfilled the pattern. But when you know, we see in Hosea, my, uh, Matthew quoting it in the, in the nativity accounts, you know, out of Egypt have I called my son. And Matthew says, this is as the prophet Hosea said, you know, you're kind of going, wait, 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 that's not what Hosea was talking about. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. What does a Hebrew think? Hebrew says, no, look, over and over again, God has rescued his people. Remember when Moses spoke to Pharaoh, he said to Pharaoh, he didn't say, let my people go like Charlton Heston in the movie, right? He yeah. said, let my son go. That's what yeah. Moses yeah. said to Pharaoh. And so over and over again, rescue for the people of God has come out of Egypt from the time of Abraham forward. The time of rest has come out of Egypt. So when Matthew quotes Hosea, he's not saying Hosea was predicting the Christ family going down into Egypt at this moment. He is saying this is a fulfillment of the pattern that God has been talking about. And it's interesting, this means that versus here is the pattern of fulfillment that we are to be mindful of. And yeah. so often what people do, honestly, is they, they take some uh, specific mention of the book of Revelation and they'll go to Daniel and they'll say, well, see, that must mean, you know, this length of years or this beast has to be Greece or it has to be Russia or it has to be, say, well, actually, this means that is not what the what a Hebrew prophet is doing. He's showing us a pattern that is fulfilled ultimately what Christ will do in his first or his second coming. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, again, that helps us as Christians saying, then I can agree, you know, with, with the notion that nations will be at war before Christ returns without trying to say, and it's Russia or China or Iran, which you and I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and trying to be uh, that specific will create sensationalism, maybe sell a lot of books, uh, maybe, you know, create a, a certain following among some Christians, but every one of those followings has failed in the past. You know, yeah. most the most specific things that have happened with time frames, you know, this is all in the book with somebody I respect a lot, Hal Lindsey and his late great planet Earth, you know, where he had kind of multiple times that he thought things could happen. So Christ was surely going to come in the 1980s. Oh, no. Well, then the 1990s. Oh, no, it didn't. Happen. So when yeah. you kind of go, well, I don't think everything that Hal Lindsey wrote was wrong, but when you try to be that specific, you're not actually fulfilling the biblical writer's intention. He would yeah. he was saying, what's a fulfillment versus this means that. Yeah. And it's actually dangerous as well, isn't it? Because, um, you know, if you're speaking to an audience of Christians and non-Christians and, you know, you're being so dogmatic about a date and it doesn't happen, then you lose all credibility and all opportunity to ever share the gospel with that person again, because they're not going to see the wood for the trees. If you're wrong about that, you're going to have lost credibility with them, aren't you? And of course, that's happened over and over again. Right. Sure. So, yeah, I, I, not a pleasant task, but a necessary task in, in the book of just kind of saying, what are what are some of the most famous uh, identifications in time where people say, oh, this is now happened, so Christ is going to come soon. And by the way, it doesn't just happen in the United States, right? Yeah. So yeah. As, as you know, it's happened in Great Britain. It's happened in China. It's happened in Japan. You know, wherever there's been a Christian movement, 
and then things go sour, then people, well, Christ must be coming back now. Yeah. Uh, it happened in France uh, at the time of the French Revolution. And so I kind of uh, mentioned, not in great detail, but just what are the times in which Christians in different nations and different eras have said, oh, well, hey, this, this has to be Christ coming now. And yeah. all these predictions that have not been fulfilled. Again, I yeah. think it's just a misunderstanding. It's taking a Western mind and and layering it over the scriptures and saying, yeah. they have to talk my way instead of, no, we need to think their way. <laughs> yeah, know, that's helpful. Right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Well, here's a nice, easy one for you, Brian. When Jesus comes back, is that the end of this world or will he spend a thousand years reigning over the earth before establishing the new heaven and new earth? Yeah, no, David, I teased with you before we began. I'm not going to answer that question. And here's the reason, because that is one of the very divisive issues, right? Yeah. That people say, all right, is Christ going to come? And then there's a thousand years of the millennial kingdom on earth. And at the end of that thousand years, he comes again. And there's the battle of Armageddon. That's one kind of dominant view. Uh, other people say, no, we're right now in the millennium. This is the era of progress of Christianity across the earth. Uh, yeah. You know, more Christians worship Jesus now in China than they do in the United States. So this is the era of the great spread of the gospel. So we're actually in the millennium now. And of course, others will will say, uh, no, uh, the millennium is something that happens at the end of a golden age in which things have gotten better and better and better. And then Christ comes at the end of that period of great betterment. So here, here's what I want to say. I'm not trying to establish, is there a thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus on the earth? You and I are not going to solve that one today. <laughs> people, people have debated that for many, many decades. Here's what we know. Jesus is going to come to rescue his people, whether it is in stages or one fait accompli. We will differ about that. What yeah. we don't differ yeah. about is Jesus will come to rescue his people. Yeah, brilliant. Brian, how will all the nations of the earth see Jesus when he returns? <laughs> TV. Um, <laughs> we don't know, David. We don't know. Um, I can give you all the speculations that I've read and you've read too, probably and even asking the questions. Is it going to be so high up in the sky that we all see him? And then all the scientists will say, well, you know, you get about 25 miles away and nothing is discernible. Um, is, is it going to be such a radiant, atomic blast energy that it's the light in the sky will um will he put himself into the minds of all the people so that everybody thinks of him in the same moment and has a vision of him will it be some technology uh provision where you know all the all the um mass media of the internet will uh somehow project him at the same time in all places on everybody's screen uh, will it be their Apple Watch or their Apple phone? I don't think we know. Um, yeah. But what we know is that there will be some great declaration of the day of the Lord. And the trump will sound and Christ will appear. But how that actually will come about, I, I'm, I, you, your speculation is as good as mine. And we just don't know. What we know yeah. is that Christ will make himself known to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. End times. Sorry, Franco. As you think of it, David, I mean, did I did I cover what you have heard as the the various speculations, or have you heard of others I didn't mention? Oh, I'm sure. 
I'm sure the listeners and the watchers would have heard all sorts of things. And that, and that is a problem, isn't it, Brian? Because, you know, everybody becomes wise in their own minds <laughs> when it comes to this, this subject. And Brian, this is a, a subject that isn't widely taught in some churches as well because of the, um, the ditches and the problems that it can cause within a within a community a church community um, so there might be some terms here that we're going to just quick very briefly speak about that might be new to some people um, the bible talks about the antichrist what is this well the antichrist is two things one it what most people think about is it is a person of great evil who um promotes that evil in the earth in such a way that for a time uh, he actually presents himself as good and then uses acclamation to turn to evil and ultimately proclaims himself to be uh, a god, a Christ, a Messiah of some sort, where he's actually evil. In fact, he will be so convincing that even the elect, even those of God will be uh, tempted to believe it's really him, uh, but he won't be. He will use the acclamation for great evil, and it's part of Christ's rescue to rescue us from the influence of the Antichrist. So let's go back to the idea of a pattern rather than a specific prediction. So I think there is a, a pattern of Antichrists who will come. And I'm, I'm not just guessing at that. I mean, the, the Bible itself talks about uh, we, the a, the antichrists who are already in the world at the time of the apostle and says that plural, right? So that the, there are antichrists at the time of the apostles. That is different than the man of lawlessness that Paul predicts in when he writes to those at Thessalonica. So you, you have the spirit of the antichrist, which is evil in the world. Then you have antichrist, which is anything that is opposing the gospel. And then you have, if you will, the Antichrist, which is the man of lawlessness that precedes Christ's return. And um, it, all, all the questions are, is there somebody who qualifies as the Antichrist who is living today? Well, we're kind of back to our earlier conversation. We'll know when Christ comes. Yeah, we'll know when Christ comes. But to say, you know, is it Putin? Is it Trump? Is, is it is it some... Chinese leader is it you know that that just becomes speculation yeah. and uh, you know if you were if you were in the Crimea and you you might feel it was it was Putin because he he seems to be acting in behalf of the Russian Orthodox Church on the behalf of righteousness mm -hmm. uh, from that view but now that you have a Ukrainian Orthodox Church they actually think he's the Antichrist because mm -hmm. he's using the church to destroy their country so uh, is it Putin? I, perhaps, uh, but but I don't think we can say with definiteness. What we know is that there is a man of lawlessness who comes, pretends to be good, does great evil. Christ res rescues us from him. Yeah, yeah. And what is the significance of the mark of the beast? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> you know, it, so let's say I, I'm putting you on the spot. And again, any any definition i would give is going to start separating christians which isn't yeah. the goal of my book right so we would say one of the things that the uh antichrist seems to do whatever that is is require such compromise from god's people that uh they receive the mark of the beast now what is that well 
David, you know, there can be art. And what is that? That, you know, the 666 and, and all that goes with that. So if you look at the language studies that the scholars can do, they can make arguments for, for Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew that says 666 is Nero. In other words, he's already come. And when he was persecuting the first century church, that's what the 666, it's a representation of Nero. Or to my earlier interpretation, it can be someone like Nero. That is the pattern is being established. Someone who's actually highly destructive to the church um, requires, as it were, that his mark uh, be on them. Now, what is that? Is it currency? Is it credit cards? Is it, uh, you know, having a microchip planted under your skin? Um, or is it just loyalty to what is contrary to the purposes of God? And, uh, you know, if you're in China today, you would say, is it being a member of the Communist Party? Uh, otherwise, you can't function in that society. I don't know what the mark of the beast is. I know that what God is calling his people to do is to recognize there will be people who push you into compromise with the sense that if you don't do this, you will not be able to prosper in the society anymore. And Christians are to recognize the pattern and not fall to it by not compromising yeah. their loyalty to Christ to any worldly leader. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Brian, what is dispensationalism? There are two kinds of dispensationalism. Um, one is what I would call kind of classic dispensationalism that says God was revealing himself by requiring different kinds of obedience to his people throughout the Old Testament until Christ came. So there were various dispensations whereby God was testing his people with regard to their obedience to show not only who they were, but who he was. And classic dispensationalism, um, which was first taught by a man named uh, Darby, uh, in in the late 1800s, uh, taught that Israel was um, a, a, a different people than the ultimate church of God people that Jesus would save. That God had a plan for Israel, but the Old Testament prophets did not foresee the New Testament church. And uh, so the, the Old Testament people were saved in a different dispensation and now there's a church age dispensation not foreseen by the prophets. And depending on the, the writer, the, the particular dispensational writer, they would say, God didn't foresee the church. He didn't foresee salvation by grace. Um, he saw salvation by uh, Israel being obedient to him in various ways as he tested them according to various plans of obedience. And that there's actually a separate heaven for Jews and Christians separate kingdom. So that that view of dispensationalism, I'm going to show you with my hands if that if that works, says the clock of time is running along, and then you get to the New Testament, and they will say variously when that is. Is it Christ's earthly ministry, or his crucifixion, or his resurrection? But some point in Christ's ministry, the prophetic clock stops, like a stopwatch, just stop it. And then there's the age of parenthesis, and that is the age of the Gentiles, where God is now reaching beyond the Jews, and he's reaching to the Gentiles in the church age. And the prophetic clock won't start ticking again 
until after the church age, which is when Christ comes again to establish the millennium on earth. Well, that view, if I could just say it, has a lot of prophecies that go until the church age. And then the New Testament age, you can't apply those prophecies. They have to all go over to the end time. So you get a very complex view of the end times with a lot of the specificity that goes into a lot of the movies about last days, right? So a lot of the movies that have a lot of sensational effort, you know, material is often built on that view. So it, it has gained popularity because it's fun to talk about because uh, particularly during the Cold War era, um, a lot of things that were happening after Israel was reestablished as a nation seemed to fit with a dispensational view. But dispensationalism had kind of fallen on hard times. There's not many schools that teach dispensationalism anymore. It's it's widely taught on the internet, <laughs> you know. But the, there's not many uh, Bible scholars that teach anymore. Rather, dispensationalists have more moved to what's called progressive dispensationalism. And in the 1990s through the early 2000s, there were people out of the dispensational schools because they're very biblical. Um, they, they want to say, what do the scriptures say? And they say, you know what? We just, we just can't prove that the Old Testament prophets did not foresee the church age. After all, on the day of Pentecost, what did, what did the apostles say? This is that which was prophesied by Joel, you know, when the Holy Spirit is pouring out his gifts upon the people. They say, and, and the notion that the message is now spreading to the Gentiles, well, what was promised to Abraham from the beginning? You will be a father of many nations. Yeah. So kind of the correction to classic dispensationalism is uh, what's called progressive dispensationalism, more, more held by I think the the pastors and teachers of the dispensational schools and churches. And it says things have progressed rather than discontinuity. There's just this different plan of how God, but there's this continuity that develops. And that is really more in keeping with most of the other major views historically, that God had a plan that was developing from Abraham forward and it, and it's still developing. And it's, it's more of a regularized, developing, developing into Christ, and now through the church, into the nations, and that kind of spreading influence of the gospel from the family of God, becoming the nations of God, becoming the church of God, becoming all nations ultimately at Christ's return, that that's the natural progression of the gospel. Yeah. So yeah. old school dispensationalism would say different plans for Israel and the church. New school or progressive dispensationalism and pretty much all the other views say, you know, God only saves people by his grace. <laughs> that's that's all. The, that's the only way he's ever saved people yeah. is not yeah. by their works, but by his grace. Yeah. And he's yeah. been developing that plan from Abraham, from the family to the nation of Israel, to the nations of the earth and ultimately to the kingdom of God. And that is the progression that was intended from the beginning and all yeah. the other views, yeah. in, including kind of contemporary dispensationalism all typically hold that view yeah very helpful thank you brian there will be people in heaven who believe in all sorts of things when it comes to end times and this is an imp important but a secondary issue what are the non-negotiable essentials that all christians believe i love that 
this is going to be more than you want to deal with. Can I give you 15? Because that, that's, kind of, that's kind of the apex of the book. So, um, you know, as, as we are dealing with, you know, are we living in the last days? But four views of the hope we share that, you know, that's my point. What do we share? So again, all get all this and you get way back in the back. Here's the 15 things that, that we all share. Number one, um, Christ's kingdom will come. We all agree, right? We may disagree on the timing. Maybe it's, is it a thousand literal years on earth or is it what Christ builds through his influence? We all agree in what's called literal interpretation. Now you think, oh, no, no, I don't. We all agree that there are some things in the Bible that are symbolic. And there are some things that are meant to be literal. Christ will come back to earth. But we believe that we should interpret the way the author's intended. And that author intentionality means sometimes there are symbols and sometimes there are images and sometimes there are literal things. Apocalyptic language is by its very nature symbolic. But we all agree that Jesus meant it when he said he would come back. So we all agree with that. We all agree that he is physically coming back. This is not just some sort of spiritual you know, smoke and mirrors. Jesus will physically come back. We all believe there's going to be a millennium. Now, we disagree on the timing and we disagree on the length, but we all agree that uh, there is a period in God's plan when Satan's influence is crushed and Christ's kingdom rules. Now, we disagree on timing, we disagree on place, but we all agree that there is a kingdom rule of Christ. We all believe in apostasy and tribulation, that the church prospers for a time and then the people of God go into a period of apostasy in which there is great evil and great suffering, and Christ comes to redeem his people. Every view has some view of apostasy and tribulation, uh, which is to give us hope in the end. Every view agrees that there's an antichrist. Every view agrees that there is, there is the appearance of the man of lawlessness whom Christ will come and defeat. Every view agrees that there's Armageddon, that there is a great battle ultimately between uh, Christ's people and uh, forces, Christ um, hosts, I will put it that way, not necessarily just his people, between Christ's hosts and the forces of evil. Everybody believes that there's a rapture. Now, not everybody believes that there's a secret rapture, right? But everybody agrees that at some point, Christ lifts his people to himself. Now, you may disagree on the timing. Is that before the millennium or after the millennium? Is that, you know? But everybody agrees that the word rapture is in the Bible. <laughs> you know? So you have, you have to have some explanation for it. And the idea that Jesus will come to rescue his people, we all agree. We all agree that there will be a resurrection of the dead. That at, at some point, those who have died with faith in Christ will be resurrected and restored. That their bodies will be made perfect. There will be a union a union again with those who have loved Christ, our loved ones, that we will be made whole and we will be reunited with all who love the Lord Jesus when he returns. We believe in that resurrection. We believe in the imminent return. Everybody agrees, if they've really studied it, that all that has to happen has already happened. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that my interpretation of every event is so, but I am saying again, that there are enough explanations for things that are predicted that all that has to happen uh, 
all that is necessary to occur before Christ returns has already happened. He could come at any time. I think almost everybody agrees that there is a place for the Jews in the kingdom of God. And we disagree on how they're saved. Some will say it's by works, some by grace. But we all agree that God made a promise to his people. And whether they are separately saved or enfolded into the church by their faith in Jesus Christ, everybody agrees that there is a place for the Jews in God's eternal kingdom uh, by grace through faith. Not just because they're Jewish, but by grace through faith. Everybody agrees that after the Christ returns, there's a judgment. There's a judgment of the living and the dead. And those who believe in, in Christ will enter into eternity and his blessing. And those who do not will enter into eternity of punishment. Everybody agrees that when Christ ultimately comes, again, we may disagree on the timing, even the sequence, but ultimately we believe that Satan and his allies will be eternally defeated. We all agree. Everybody agrees there will be a new heaven and a new earth, that in the ultimate kingdom, uh, all the nations will gather in the kingdom of God and know the blessings of Christ's rule over all things. And we all agree that when Christ's rule comes, that he will rule with us. That is, those who believe will share rule over that eternal kingdom with him because he promises that we will. And I don't know what that will look like, but but we will we will we will be a kingdom of priests in his ultimate rule. And um, we will we will rejoice in his goodness and power, but we will also reign with him over the world as it is unfolding in that eternal kingdom. Yeah. I did it, David. I got through 15. Were you still with well me? Well done, Brian. Well done. <laughs> still with you. Brian, I'm so pleased that you wrote this book. It's going to be so helpful and for so many people. And I've really enjoyed speaking to you as well. Before I let you go, and please just take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also let people know how they can keep in contact with you. Yeah. So uh, my name is the easiest way, brianchapel.com. So brianchapel.com. Uh, we'll we'll get them to the website with lots of resources beyond uh, beyond these. You see me shuffling for papers. I'm trying to. I know my publisher wants me to say far more than that. Go to Amazon and get the book. And uh, but BrianChapel.com. You could also look at UnlimitedGrace.com. That will have it too. Oh, here we go. Here we go. And um, on Twitter, it's at BrianChapel. So that's Facebook. Uh, Brian Chapel official. <laughs> all these different all your guests say this david here's all these different ways but if you just remember brian chapel you'll get there brianchapel.com or you know instagram at brian chapel brian chapel official brian chapel on twitter uh youtube pastor brian chapel on youtube pastor brian chapel on youtube but uh just just simple brianchapel.com will get people where they need to go Brilliant. Well, what I'm going to do, Brian, is I'm going to find all of those links to your social media accounts and to your website, and I'll add a link to the book as well, and that will all be in the description below wherever you're listening or watching this interview. Brian, thanks again for your time. I've really enjoyed catching up with you. Thank you, David. You're great. Thank you so much.